Hello and welcome back to Happy Porch Radio. In this season, we're talking all things circular economy and digital technology. In this episode, we're talking to Jordi, um, who is an early blockchain aficionado with a business background. He is co-founder of Circularize, a company that helps manufacturers, brands and OEMs to trace raw materials from source into parts and ultimately to end products, and then share that data about them while retaining privacy over sensitive information. Emily, I, I find that really fascinating. I'm really interested in the technology, but actually the part that is more inspiring, or I guess, and more relevant, even to technologists, is the purpose and the reason that they're doing it, and then um, understanding how the technology solves some of these problems rather than being led by cool technology. Yeah, it was really interesting one for me. I'm not particularly into all the technology side, and sometimes even the word blockchain like makes me freeze up a little bit. But I was really grateful for Geordie's clear explanation of everything that Circularize does and how the system works to allow for transparency, but also privacy, which was a really interesting line to me that that's the, the balancing act that they're performing there every day. Very interesting. Yeah, and another thing that stood out for me that I think is a consistent theme, as I think I tried to say to Jordi, but a consistent theme is that people who are genuinely trying to solve a problem or have an impact would be much more open to things like collaboration and in this case open source or open data standards or anything open in order to have that genuine impact rather than sort of and make the cake bigger and better for all of us rather than hoard their own tiny few crumbs. Yeah, when that's your motivation, when it's coming from a place of, I actually want to solve this problem rather than kind of personal gain or, or gain for the company or organization. Um, it is interesting how then that changes people's use of data and transparency and how we look at those issues. So yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a really interesting point. Excellent. And so, without any further ado, let's meet Jordi. Hi, my name is Jordi, and I'm one of the founders of Circularize. Circularize is a company that is going to bring transparency to global supply chains, but in such a way that you can keep your sensitive data private. Thank you so much. Welcome to the show. It's brilliant having you here, and I'm really looking forward to this. I'm really interested in talking about the technology, as well as learning more about, I'm really fascinated by your, the purpose and the vision that you have. So I thought that might be a good place to start a little bit, to, to do a kind of a history check-in. You and your co-founder started Circularize, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. We started in, uh, in 2016 already, and it was based out of uh, the master thesis of my co-founder who was studying at the Delft University at the time. Awesome. And so did that come about as a, how much of it is driven by interest in the technology and how much is, which is really fascinating, uh, I think in itself, and how much is driven by, you know, this the, the tackling this problem. Um, and, and, and I know that you particularly focused on plastics a lot, but the problem generically of supply chain management and tracking and, and, and managing to share all that information in a transparent and yet secure way. Yes, when we started, we really started with uh, with the problem. Uh, so, so Mesba's thesis was about uh, critical materials, which is a subset of materials for a certain location, for instance, the European Union, that are very critical to our economy, but yet there can be all kinds of risks to them on why we cannot get them anymore. 
So this can be just geographical, but it can also be political, for instance. And we started off by looking at, at what happens with these materials. So we found out that, that people were just throwing them away, quite literally. Uh, so in electronics, for instance. And recyclers were not getting these materials out, at least not in the ratio that, that we would love to see. We really started out with this, this problem. like How can we make sure that we can make, at least make a good choice when we, when we recycle something, for instance, that we can really capture the value instead of just averaging everything out and losing a lot of uh, precious materials. And that journey has, has brought us like to all kinds of places. Like when we first started, we had this idea like, yeah, we're going to just inform people about this and, and they will change, being consultants of sorts. And really by, by keeping this investigation going into the problem, we ended up where we are today. So our technology, it's purely driven by the problem itself. So we're not bound to, to one tech. We're not, not like a real tech startup, I would say, where you have a technology and just try to sell that to whoever wants it. It's really the, fixing the problem. That um, doesn't surprise me from, from the, what I know about the business. And, and I can see in some of the content and the things that you, I think with the work that the company's doing, that it's really driven by that goal. How did you then go from, oh yeah, this is the problem we want to solve. Was there an immediate step towards the, the direction of the technology that you have at the moment, blockchain and so on, or or were there interim steps? Was it a sort of more windy road? We did already have some, or at least myself, I had some knowledge about blockchain uh, before, so that jump was was very quick, I would say. But still, everything was was research driven. So for the first couple of years, we just spent all our time on on researching this problem, and especially the privacy part of it. That's I think where where we spend most of our time. Because we see on, on small scale, it's, it's quite easy to do pilots on traceability in supply chains because you're dealing with such a limited amount of, of partners in there. But when you really try to tackle this problem globally, it means that you're going to have people on your system that don't really want to work together with each other for whatever reason or don't want to share certain information. And that is where the, where the bottleneck is that we try to fix. So... Have you got an example to try and bring those two things to life? So as you said, in a small pilot scenario, maybe you've got one supplier or something like that. Is that what you mean? So there's this relatively small chain? Well, what we've seen uh, also from other companies is that uh, there's usually a small consortium that's being formed around uh, a pilot. And in that case, you can have all kinds of agreements and people are usually more willing to share. But when you talk about like a real global supply chain uh of plastics, for instance, all these 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 other things come into play. Like, yeah, my competitor is also on this system, and I don't want you to see the volume that I'm shipping to someone. I don't want you to see the actual contents of what I'm shipping, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's why it can work in a pilot, but bringing it to a bigger stage is is quite difficult. Yeah, because in the pilot, there's the participants know each other, and there's a they're, they're, you're starting from a certain position of trust. Yeah, and then there are always other supply chains uh, that maybe have uh, traders in between. And of course, in their, in, it's in their best interest that you not know everything because that's how they make their money. Mm, that's interesting. I'm a bit of a layman when it comes to the technology side, but I really, you know, you mentioned in the beginning this idea of transparency and privacy. And those things kind of seem like they clash immediately as two things that you're trying a kind of core to what you're doing did you immediately see that as a problem or did you immediately see that as part of the solution 
Well, I think we were very fast in finding out that was the main problem that we actually had to solve. Because we know when we look at, at for instance, the contents of products, we know that somewhere in the supply chain, there's a person that knows exactly what's in that material. But somehow this is lost while they are transacting all of this. So we, we set out to make that, that information highway, basically, to make sure that you can confidently share parts of the information that you know will help at a later stage, but you also still keep your own position a secret or whatever you want to keep a secret, basically. And so then how is it decided what that information is? What What's kind of enough information to be transparent enough, but also private enough? So honestly, the way we set it up is that it's not up to us to decide what that information should be or, or what is right and what is wrong. But we see this as something that the market is already figuring out. So if you look, for instance, to the to the textile supply chain, there you see that there's a lot of uh, openness already required. Uh, because also in the past, we've seen all these kinds of disasters uh, and scandals that now warrant this, this level of transparency. And when we look at plastics, uh, they're not there yet. So there, there's differences in there. So the way our system works is that you can have your, uh, for instance, your bill of materials, so what, whatever uh, the contents are of your product, and it's very, very specific, but you're not sharing that. You're only sharing maybe an average, or maybe you're just saying that you're, that the product contains this material. So for instance, for a flat screen television, for instance, it's very important for the recycler to know whether there's mercury inside, because in the past we used to have this tube filled with mercury for the backlight of the television. If it's in there and you throw the television in the in the shredder at the recycling process and the mercury flies everywhere and you have this big environmental problem. But if you know that it's in there, then you can decide to maybe take that television apart uh, by hand, remove the tube, and then go further, right? And that's just knowing about one material can already make such a difference. Right. So in that case, actually, the specific information that is shared is going to be essential when it comes to safety at further down the line in the in the lifespan of that product yeah yeah so it can be can be something like that where you you say that a material is present for instance or maybe you say a quantity i mean we've seen this in the past right with all the houses with asbestos like if we if we had the technology then to record where we kept the asbestos it would have saved us a lot of uh, time and effort now and so that's basically the mindset where you, you can make that link even at a later stage and it still depends on, on what the market wants and what you decide that you are comfortable with sharing, of course. But at least we have this link already there. Yeah. And how do you feel the market is evolving? You mentioned that there have been kind of scandals in the textile industry around the way things are produced and the supply chain there. Do you think we're moving towards a more transparent marketplace in general? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we know that, that consumers are getting more critical about what products they are buying and what, what's in there. Um, so yeah, we, we see that, that consumers are, are changing. Uh, so they're getting more and more demanding on, on to know what they're buying, how is it produced, uh, what does it contain. That's, of course, great. But on the other side, we also see that regulation is changing. Uh, and just, uh, I think, one week ago, the European Parliament uh, pushed through another regulation about greenwashing on how companies can state that they do something good or green because right now that's just the wild west and you can claim anything but also changing so what do you think are the potential 
issues that come along with becoming more transparent because obviously transparency at the minute in the marketplace I feel like we talk about it in a really positive way that the more transparency the better but I'm aware that with any kind of extreme if we get all the way to the point that everything's transparent that's going to come with its own issues right yeah so the the biggest issues are uh, what are their number I think the first one is the bigger you are as a company the, the more easy it is to become more transparent because you have such a big say towards your suppliers. So especially for the smaller companies, it's it's a lot lot more difficult to do so. But then also, if you are too transparent, you might risk your position in this whole value chain because you, part of what, what you're selling is your knowledge, your knowledge and network. Yeah. There's a certain amount of underlying trust that is, is kind of present in all of this in terms of the information that producers share and different actors in the supply chain share, and also trust in how that information is used. How do you kind of work with trust in Circularize? Yeah, so the, the grand vision of that, we ha- that we're trying to achieve is that we're actually removing trust from this equation, or at least bring it down to one single point. Because right now we know that there's indeed relies all on trust and it's so easy to manipulate and there are lots and lots of financial incentives to do so as well. So a recent example would be with a declining oil price. The price of uh, virgin PET has also uh, gone down uh, quite hard, which now means that the, the, the value or the price of recycled PET is actually higher than virgin. So just lying about the origin of this material and just saying, well, yeah, this is recycled PET already gets you so much more money. It's, it's crazy. It's an easy lie, right? No one really gets hurt about it. Uh, so it's, it's easy for companies to do. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I'd, I'd really like to come back to that trust piece and, the, and I guess the blockchain or the technology, as you say, to try and remove or, or change that conversation. But I'm also, one of the things you mentioned there was um, all the different people in the supply chain or, or who, who might be uh, driving this process and from consumers or who do you find where in the supply chain are the people that are is your first point of contact if you like who are the people who are initially going okay we were trying to solve this problem we need this technology in place yeah so we're basically approaching that from two sides uh, on one hand you know the, the the brands they of course want this they're very vocal about their uh, kpis that they have on on achieving this so we have claims that they want to go, for instance, to recycle plastics in, in 2025 or, or something like that. But then on the other side, you actually have these material manufacturers that make really great materials, like better better than, than what it was before. But then because this, this communication channel is not there already, they're, they're losing this value. They're basically competing with, with virgin materials in, in this whole supply chain. Whereas if you have this proof that comes with it, obviously the material becomes way more valuable. So there's there's interest from both sides, and it's uh, just finding the the right people to start with. And then I also noticed uh, an interesting thing that I think was mentioned in the white paper that's available on your site that kind of uh, introduces the technology. There was mention of kind of, I guess, a little bit of incentive or peer pressure almost for people in the supply chain to also get involved and sort of you know make sure that they are what's the right description, but you know to get to to make sure that they're correctly represented in in the chain is that is that a fair sort of assessment 
Yeah, we see that happening already with some parties that sit in the middle of the value chain where they feel the pressure of both sides. And, and I mean, there's nothing really to lose for them if they join. But again, I think that's that's mostly something that will in later when we are a bit further along, because then people will start asking, like, why are you not doing this? Like, what, what are you hiding? What are you afraid for? And that's, of course, the situation that we want to create. Okay, so you mentioned, so we talked about the trust and you mentioned that kind of proof. Can you kind of give, an, a, a, I guess, a summary or an introduction into how the product and the, uh, that you have provides that trust or proof part? Yeah. So let, it, it starts at the material manufacturer or, or someone that wants to make a first claim about something. So at that stage, they, they have a certain product and they have certain documentation around it, uh, maybe audit documents, for instance. They can enter that into our system. Based on that, they are creating what is called a digital twin. So that's a digital representation of what they have in the physical world. And it's equal in mass. So if you have, a, let's say, a bag of resin of 10,000 kilograms, then you also get a digital bag of resin that's 10,000 kilograms. Now, the blockchain part really kicks in right here. Because in the past, if I had like a PDF document that stated something, I could send it to you, but I, I could send it to someone else as well. And hopefully you guys won't talk to each other, so you won't find out. And with this blockchain technology, you're unable to do that. You're unable to double spend uh, whatever it is that you have, just like you cannot make Bitcoins out of thin air. So once that is done, we can even have a third-party validator looking at that, that process of making this digital twin. So you have maybe an external party signing off on it. And once that is created, you can basically ship this digital version alongside your physical item. And you can go step by step into the supply chain. And at every stage, you can alter it, you can basically say, well, I, I received this material, but now I combined it with another material and made a part. Uh, like any step that you do in, in the physical world, you can also do in a digital space. And then, of course, you keep doing this until you reach the brand at the end. Now, there is one one very important footnote here, and that is the, the link uh, between the dis digital world and the physical world. And basically means that uh, if you, for instance, do this by uh, putting a QR code on a bag, uh, of course, you have this link, but then it's also very easy to copy because if I even just make a photo of a QR code, then I already have a copy. So it's it becomes easy to to swap the material. So in the end, it's still like you cannot make more claims than what you can do in total. So on a mass balance scale, it's it's completely right, but you still cannot really claim something about the product that is in front of you. So someone might have swapped the bag, for instance, in the middle of the supply chain, and you would never find out. This, in some cases, is perfectly fine. I mean, we do this every day when we travel with, a, well, not right now with Corona, of course, but we used to travel by plane and you could buy uh, CO2 credits and, and reduce your, your carbon footprint that, that you were creating by traveling by air. But of course, that never changed anything about the plane itself, right? It's just someone planting a tree somewhere to compensate. So this is the same concept of a mass balance that, you know, that's on yeah, looking at a global scale, it you know it's good what you're doing, but it's not very specific to the product in front of you. So the stronger you make this link between the, the physical and the digital, the more or the better your claim actually becomes. And you can go all the way up to the point where you introduce uh, artificial DNA, for instance, into the material, and then you can make a claim really about this, the thing that is in front of you. And again, this this really depends on on what kind of supply chain you're looking at, whether that makes sense or not. Mm. So then, however that link is made, you have then the physical product or, or thing moving around the supply chain. 
and the digital twin following it. So you have a digital record of everything that's happened to that, to all those things by the time it gets into my laptop or whatever. So the goal, the vision being that I can then go, here's my laptop, tell me the full journey of everything that's ended up in it. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's one side. But then the other side, like to, to make it really easy, that that is not even the thing that we want to achieve. So looking, for instance, again at, at recycling. So imagine that you throw your laptop away. Basically, what we want to make sure is that at that recycler, they know exactly what to do with it. So do I throw it in bin A or bin B? What process should it go into? And basically that, and this is something that, that has grown into society, I think, over all the years that, that we've been innovating, it's like people always really like to gather all the information and then based on that information, make a decision. That's, that's how, how generally people work. And what we are saying is that a computer is way better in doing that than you are. Why shouldn't it be someone else's computer? So basically that whole analysis and calculation we can do at the place or at the computer of whoever owns the information. So we're not sharing that information. We're just sharing the result that comes out of that analysis. And that analysis is exactly what is based on, you know, that specific recycler, for instance, with specific capabilities. Right. So then the point of trust comes between the humans and the computer rather than between the humans involved. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, basically the, the one point of trust is whoever entered the information the first time so that is the most critical part. But right now, I mean, if, if we compare it to what we have today, it means that every single step, you have the same problem. Mm, yeah. So you mentioned that the as you go through the supply chain with your bag of whatever, you can do the same thing that you do to it digitally that you do in the actual real world. Can that relate or how does that relate to kind of the labor that goes into it? Because obviously you met in the example that you had of the textile industry, kind of the transparency around how labor is used and what kind of labor is used is a big part of that scandal and a big part of the ethics that are important in that industry. Is that something that also is tracked through this process? So again, we, we are making the information highway, but we don't decide what information needs to go on there. But it is uh, very easy. And in fact, we're already doing that, is to add other certification at a later stage. So you can imagine that you're you're getting these tokens in, this digital twin, and maybe it's uh, recycled cotton, for instance. And now you're at the facility where you want to make a claim about the, the labor standards. And there's this other certificate that you have or this other audit that has happened that basically validates that you're not using uh, child labor, for instance. And that can be attached into that new token that you're making based out of what you've already gotten in. So what happens is you you basically consume the recycled cotton token and you're creating a new one based out of it and you can attach all kinds of new information to it at that stage as well. So just like mm, like okay. yeah, what happens in the physical world. So building the journey of the physical object also in the digital space. Yeah. And there's really no limit on what kind of information you can attach. So, of course, we can talk about the, the, the labor. We can talk about CO2 emissions maybe. But maybe like you just want to want to attach a, a nice video that gives you a tour about your facility and show how, how technical advanced it is. That's also perfectly fine. Like we, don't, we don't make the rules. Whatever 
you think as a, as a manufacturer in that supply chain, it's important for people to know further than supply chain, you should attach. So that makes sense. And I really like the, uh, the analogy you've said a couple of times now of creating the, 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 like the information highway and then allowing each participant to be able to say, this is the information I want to attach and share at, at whatever point in the, in the supply chain journey that they are in. So, but let's just quickly talk a little bit about the privacy aspect then. So if I'm a part of the supply chain and I'm do, like with the plastic, as you said, I'm combining it with some other things, I'm doing some other things, I'm proving that our business practices are ethical and I'm providing some extra information to my step in the chain. How do I then control where and how that's shared? So when you're entering the information, there's an option in our system. So this technology that we use is, is basically uh, called zero-knowledge proofs. There are lots of YouTube videos that can explain that way better than I can. But the idea is that uh, at that stage, you can also basically commit to, to share certain data under certain conditions. And that's where you, where you basically enter this. And you can change it at a later stage. But the nice thing is that if, for instance, we talk about a bill of materials, and you have a third-party uh, auditor, for instance, uh, signing signing this data for you that you know that that someone else. So, a good example will be that if you're a, a material manufacturer and you have your bill of materials, but then uh, KPMG, for instance, comes in and says, "Well, the data that you entered in the Circrise uh, platform that is correct, right? You're not lying about the contents here. I agree with it." So then, on the other side, the receiving end, they can ask a very specific question. For instance, does this uh, television contain uh, mercury? And they will get an answer. And uh, basically, the, the depth of the answer is in your control. So you can say, I just want to say yes or no, or I want to give an exact number, like anything you can do in, in between that range. But the person receiving it will, will get this answer, and they will say, oh, the, like the original data was validated by KPMG. So you put the trust in the auditor, but you don't need to see the exact data. And then tying that back to the example you're giving there of the recycler, uh, they don't need to know everybody in the supply chain and who the factory was and everything. They just need to know what's this material. It does it contain X, Y hazardous material or things that will affect my decision as to what I do with this product now. So how does that work? So and the other thing that was really interested that you emphasised that, and and I think you explained that really clearly, is that this hinge is very often on the on the link between that digital information. And the fact that this is actually the product that that, 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 that digital twin is is for. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about? So, you mentioned QR codes and uh, and sort of I assume other things, chips, the things that could be attached to it. But I'd be interested in in, in you sort of if you're able to describe some of the different ways that that would work, and which and where people might choose, you know, what identifier to use. Yeah, so the identifier is basically nothing more than uh, well, like a serial number. That, that's how you can compare it. And it's unique for like anything in the whole wide world. If you give it that number, there will not be a second part anywhere else with that same number. But how you attach that, it, it really, it's it's up to the company. So a good example would be the, the QR code. It, it's really easy to implement. Uh, it can also be a barcode. You can even link it to an existing code that's already on packaging, for instance. But then, uh, for instance, if we talk about adding a tracer to a material, we know, for instance, in plastics, it's certainly possible to do that. But if you do that, you're changing the chemical composition 
uh, of the material, which means that it needs to be recertified at the least for the application, right? So you don't want to introduce different materials in, into a product that easily. So there it, it's just a maybe an even more economic decision where you say, well, right now that's just not interesting to do, but maybe at later stage it will be. Whereas in textiles, we see that the usage of, of tracers is already uh, fairly common just because the market is demanding such a strong claim at the end. But yeah, I mean, the sky is the limit. We can use uh, NFC chips. There are even some uh, companies now that have NFC chips that act like, a, uh, you know, the Google Authenticator program that you can get for your phone, where you basically get a random, random code generated. They have NFC chips with that built in. So the moment you scan it, the, the code actually changes. So you will never be able to copy it. Like there are lots and lots of really smart solutions uh, out there to, to tackle this problem. Our approach is basically saying, well, we know these solutions exist and we have this really easy way of integrating them, uh, but we're not going to tell you which one you should pick. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. So that, I, that that's, I think that's really cool. So then you're um, providing, I guess, the platform, as you described, for it to enable all of these things. So what happens, how does a company, for example, go about, go about implementing or joining that platform, making those decisions about what data do they put on and how do they track their thing? You know, to, to, is it a case of uh, they're already doing that and they're pulling in Circleize to say, you this is the Circleize is going to be the the the, 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 the sort of super the information highway like you described, or are you more involved in the consulting and the how to make all that work as well? Yeah, that really really depends. Of course, we know that that like especially the bigger companies they have their own internal ERP systems already that contain a lot of data. So we are building these these links basically that you don't need to do anything. It's already in your system. But yeah, having said that, it, it, really, like, it really depends on how far uh, these companies are. So you can also imagine that looking at where production happens, uh, technology might not be as advanced as we, we might expect. So we also have to keep that in mind. And usually this is a journey that we start uh, with the customer and, and really try to figure out what is the easiest way to start now, but also what is the, the, the optimum way that we want to go to in the future. Together, we built out this track how you can get there. Another thing that I think is really important to highlight is that we are just a, a startup, right? We're a small company from the Netherlands. And we know that we will not become uh, the Google of materials. Like that's the risk, right? If you if we get every company in the world to work with us, then, uh, then of course, we would be really happy as founders, but it's probably not the best uh, solution to make the world more circular. Because there's this giant lock-in, right? It's a, it's a risk. So what we're actually doing is that the core of our technology, we are making open source. We're actually now in the process of creating a, a foundation that should manage that. And anyone can also just build their own solution on top of it. So maybe there's a market that we are not active in, or maybe there's a specific use case that you just want to handle yourself. That's all perfectly fine. We just want to make sure that everyone speaks the same language, so to say. So if you are, you can compare it with email. So if you're using uh, Gmail and, and I'm using Yahoo, it doesn't matter. Like we can still send emails to each other. We can perfectly read them. And that's basically the future that we envision uh, for our technology as well. Yeah, that's really cool. You preempted my next question about that, actually. Cause, cause that, and that's something that I see more and more like with people who are genuinely, businesses who are genuinely interested in in the goal, you know, making things more circular, having an impact, reducing waste and so on. And all the big, uh, higher, higher, you know, the big, broad, and high-reaching goals with that, the things like open data standards and open source 
and shared not shared languages, shared, shared knowledge is the key to that success. So, is that something that you're finding as easy as a, as a natural part of the business, or is it a is it a challenging thing when you're also at the startup mode when you're trying to create the business and you have all these things going on, and then as you say, then is it a separate job to do the open source foundation, or is it something that you feel is fitting quite seamlessly into what you're doing anyway? It's uh, definitely something that we always set out to do. Uh, I think the the biggest challenge as a startup, like especially when you're just starting, is is the funding uh, part. So a lot of investors they might feel hesitant if you have a startup that is pitching that they're basically giving all the the unique technology away. But that depends, right? We see that this world is changing now, where people are not accepting the the status quo as it happens right now with with Google, Facebook. That that there's basically this giant lock-in. People are getting more um, more receptive to the idea of going back to basically the old style of internet where everything was open and everything was shared. So it's uh, it's definitely it has a steep learning curve, but it's uh, we wouldn't want to do it any other way. Yeah, and do you find particularly as uh, over the first few years of the startup that you're having to kind of explain the problem as well as sell your solution, if you like? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. When we when we started in 2016, we spent a lot of time just explaining the idea of a circular economy. Then we got to the stage where people sort of understood that part, uh, but then we had to explain our technology and especially the blockchain part. And uh, wait, I thought that uh, Bitcoin was used to buy drugs. So then we got to that stage, and I think now we're at the stage where people understand that that circular economy is a the thing. They understand that blockchain is there and that it's just a technology. So now we're finally getting into that stage where where we're we're moving away from the from the lecturer role. Yeah, and um, I mean we we are definitely societally moving towards more understanding of this, but are you still coming up against resistance? Yeah, I'm, I would not call it resistance. It's more timing, I would say, where a lot of people now understand it, but it might not be the first thing on their agenda which is understandable, especially given the, the current situation. It's just that, yeah. that yeah. yeah, of course, from our perspective, you you have to start as soon as possible. But change change in general takes time. So that, that's fine. Hmm. If I may ask a more personal question, what do you find most motivating and inspiring in terms of working in this, working towards the circular economy transition? Um, is there something that, kind of every day you think this is it you know I'm really glad that I get to work on this solution because I think that you know it holds all this importance for me where does that lie for you yeah I think when when I was growing up I always found this this important already but I also studied business and I always had this feeling like yeah sustainability is really important but it always comes at a cost which is like if you look at it from a purely financial perspective, it's it's not easy to sell to a company. And I think with, with the concept of a circular economy, I finally got to the stage where I thought this really makes sense, not just because we should, but also because it actually makes your business better. Like it actually makes financial sense to do this. That's, I think, where I got most excited. And now I see that, that companies are, are, are getting to this point where they also see this. Of course, the, the societal importance was always there, but now it, it's basically you, you can also explain it in the books why this is definitely a way forward. And I think that that's what makes it most exciting for me. I can I can very confidently talk to, to pretty much any business and, and show them that 
this makes financial sense to actually start moving towards a circular economy. I think that that's what also gives me the energy. And for me, Circularize is one of the tools that you definitely need to get there, right? So you, there's some technological innovation that needs to be done, not just changing your business model. I'm ha- really happy to be part of that solution. Yeah, that's a great place to be when you feel like your solution is making sense on all kinds of different levels. So what is next? What's the future? I know you've had several successes and already I can, uh, uh, you've had, I, I know you've been involved in some awesome accelerators and programs and things already. But what's next? What's the, what's the future? What do you see as the next sort of step in the business? Yeah, so we, we just recently won another grant from the European Commission, the EIC SME Booster. So with that, we are going to uh, scale our business. And I think the, the most prominent step that we are taking is that right now we have this, this system already running, but it relies on, on people logging into a web interface and interacting with the system there. And really the next step would be to automate all that and make sure that there are APIs available for companies that they can just build this integration themselves. And I think that's the, that's the low-hanging fruit for the next uh, year to make sure that that is there for them. Awesome. Yeah, so is there anything we haven't asked that you would like to share? Well, I think the main thing that I really want to share with you and all the other listeners is that if you think that this is something that you can help with or that you want to implement, then please please reach out, get in touch, because this whole concept of it being open and, and creating this foundation is that we're not the only ones in there. So, so please, if, if you have any ideas or maybe you work on a complementary technology, please reach out. It's really important. Awesome. Thank you. And where, if listeners want to find, do that, reach out to you and contact you or just find out more about Circularize and about the project, where can they go? I think our website would be the, the easiest, circularize.com. On the English uh, spelling, please. <laughs> and otherwise, LinkedIn is where we share uh, most of our news. Awesome. Okay. And we'll share, as usual, we'll share the links to Circularize to, um, and also to the LinkedIn and um, Twitter and so on for Circularize on happyporchradio.com on the episode notes. Thank you, Jordi. I really appreciate your time today. It was a really fascinating discussion and there's a lot more depth we could get into, I'm sure. But hopefully that was a really good introduction to the whole, to circularize into the whole, I guess, the platform that you're building. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you, Jordi. You can find notes and links from this episode plus a full transcript at happyporchradio.com. If you are enjoying the show, please take a moment to give us a positive review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening to Happy Porch Radio.